Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello, you homeschooling people out there. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have a chance, head down into the show notes. We're going to have some special links to a lot of special things we're going to be talking about today. We are going to be having a two-parter episode. You know, Ariel and I love to do Um, two-parters. There's a lot of information out there, and a lot of Mm -hmm. times we need to you know, know what things are and whatnot. So this week and next week, we're going to be talking about all these different homeschooling styles. And we know, you know, there's a lot of seasoned homeschoolers out here who are you know, listening that are, you know, really good. They got their whole systems in place, but sometimes we don't know what's out there. We don't know the unknown unknown as as has been said before. A lot of times you'll see a curriculum that will say, oh, this is Waldorf inspired, Mm -hmm. or this is Charlotte Mason and project-based learning. And you're like, what does all that mean exactly? exactly. Or or like you're looking through and you don't know what piece is which piece, like which piece of this curriculum goes in this way and and whatnot. Right. And And, so, and a lot of times we're, we're doing a curriculum and we kind of, you know, we're, we're trying to tailor it to our child Mm -hmm. and it's hard for us to kind of explain, you know, Oh, what does our kid really like about this? You know, and what is that element? What what do I call that element? And sometimes those are pieces from different curriculums Yeah, or different curriculum styles. Right. So you'll find that there'll be some curriculums that will totally fit into these styles Mm. and that's all that they are. But a lot of them are going to take bits and pieces. So we want you to know what those are. And like you said, if you find that, Oh, my kid loves, you know, Montessori. Well, what aspects about Montessori are really the things yeah. that are clicking with you? And so this is kind of a, just a, a general primer. And then we will probably throughout the year and maybe even into next year, probably get into some detailed episodes about each one of these, because there's actually a lot to say about this. So we're just going to scratch the surface. <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to talk about eight of them. And I think next week um, we're going to talk about nine of them. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Stay tuned. Get, get your pencils out. Everybody tap, tap, tap. <laughs> get your pencils out. Um, the first one that we're going to talk about here, I think, is probably the one that new homeschoolers are thinking about, right? Which is right. traditional schooling at home. So this would be anything that you could imagine being used in a classroom. Yeah. Some some common homeschool curriculum examples would be like a Singapore math, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Um, everything is set up because where... Because a lot of times those curriculums are actually tailored to you know, public school, right? you know, like I think Singapore math is tailored towards public or a, a classroom setting, Yeah, could um, be but, used in a classroom. but can also be used in a homeschool setting. Exactly. So this is, yeah, just like you say, this is school at home. This is sit at a desk and, you know, do traditional work where there's a lecture and then there's some amount of like workbook type product that they do. And so, which works great for some kids. I mean, yeah. the, the whole idea that you can't do school at home, I think the, the one of the first things that you'll hear is, oh, you don't want to replicate school at home. And what we really, I think a lot of people mean by that is you don't want to just 
sit down at a desk and lecture at them all day. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to find that using something like Singapore math isn't perfect for the math part of your day. Mm -hmm. But then you still are doing other things. You're doing poetry tea time and you're doing your own history and you're doing interactive art and you're doing nature walks. So just because you choose that the school at home approach is right for one or two subjects, that could be totally the right fit for your family. And, you know, a lot of times we have, you know, we don't have 30 kids in our homeschool unless you're running a pod or something of that nature or you're doing some homeschool co-op. Most of the time we are working on -on one-on-one, one-on-two type of education. And maybe we're not sitting up lecturing them, but we're sitting down at the table together and we're talking about this concept, but you're doing all the talking. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that when I'm doing kind of the right start math type of thing. Like I'm not lecturing, but you know, I'm walking through examples. I'm yeah. talking about concepts. We're doing some example problems. I, I show some example problems. We do them together. Then we do some exercises and then maybe we'll do the worksheet. That's very, you know, those various slices are all very school at home, like kind of traditional schooling. Right. But this, but but because of the one-on-one aspect and it's yeah. so hands-on, it's I so think hands-on. it's it's more homeschool focused. And it's kind of weird. You can see elements in different types of styles. Right. So when you're thinking traditional, the traditional style, you're thinking about structured lesson plans mm-hmm. and textbooks and regular assessments. And maybe some homework that you go take home and, and do stuff. With yeah. So well. extra work products. Yeah. And so this could be great. You know, you mentioned co-ops. If you're out there and you need to teach a co-op class, uh, one of these types might be the right fit, right? There's a reason why they, they, yeah. they do work um, for larger group settings. So this might be right for that. Or if you're in a setting where you have, you know, say you have a larger family, five kids, um, you're doing individualized, you know, assessment and teaching for certain subjects, but maybe you do all your science together. Maybe you need something a little bit more of like kind of a traditional style because you've mm-hmm. got to manage five kids, right? You can't sure. do the one-on-one experience like that. So well, you know, obviously we have all the different wrinkles. It's sort of like your basketball team, you know, basketball. And we got all these different defenses and different plays and all these type of things. And sometimes we have to attack things in different directions. And I think we've heard that from a lot of the people we've interviewed over time. Yeah. You know, the fact that we are not doing the traditional school may make us averse to doing things that are called traditional education. Right. right? You, you think immediately like, oh, I'm not supposed to do I'm that because I'm homeschooling. Yeah. But you, you shouldn't necessarily assume that. And some of these programs that fit into a more of a traditional model work really well for certain types of kids and certain types of families. So that's the kind of base vanilla, the traditional style, if you see traditional written somewhere. Yeah. And now moving on to our next, you know, six or seven that we're going to do today, um, we do want to have the caveat that some of these curriculums are not maybe inherently secular. And we are a secular podcast for a secular family. So do be aware that sometimes certain curriculums may be secular inspired or maybe have, when you're looking things up, may have a heavy, a non-secular element to them. So it's something you're going to have to be aware of and kind of, and kind of work through. And one of them you will see very often is a classical education. Right. And this one is, is secular because Mm -hmm. it was originally, you know, Greek. Greek. (laughs) Right. But but will we learn about Zeus? (laughs) We kind of like, we can blend the ancient history. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So this one's not inherently religious. Um, And I, and I think what you're saying about religion is important because a lot of times the the folks who started these different educational yeah. philosophies were religious. And yeah. so there's going to be those strains. And you may find some classical education individuals who 
kind of took this old kind of Greek and, right. and style and then they blended it a lot with like maybe some religious teaching. So you may want to be aware of that. Like if you're looking for a certain yeah. type of curriculum. Even though, even though classical isn't inherently religious, you're mm-hmm. talking about the tri- trivium, which is your grammar, logic, and rhetoric, yep. um, which works really great. So this emphasizes classical literature, mm-hmm. history, languages, and you will find... Uh, some religious programs will call themselves classical. Yeah. So just do be aware when you're searching. But if you see something that is is pushing kind of this classical philosophy, it's going to be that that trivium focused. And there's a reason why that's been used for a few thousand years yeah. because it, it yeah. does work. And it yeah. and certain um, certain subjects might be something that you want to lean into the trivium. Maybe you want to bring some logic work into your yeah. homeschool. And there's logic workbooks and things yeah. and bring in classical literature and yeah and especially when you're doing the grammar logic and rhetoric one of the things with the classical education is they they kind of treat those one after the other like you can't argue your way through something unless you know the grammar and then once you can logic your way through something then you can argue something rhetorically argue something so they kind of flow together um really really interesting and we've heard sometimes that classical education has been kind of like deemed as more rigorous like it's like more of a um there's not as much um, give or take. It's very structured yeah, and, and very studious. Very studious as well. And so maybe maybe think about that. Um, I'm sure there are classical people, people out there who you know are saying, "Oh no, it's almost unschooling level." In some in some respects, I'm like, "Great, put your comments in the in the YouTube. We'd love to know about that." But we've heard some people say it can be very intense. And so if you have a learner that maybe can't can't handle that, or that's not their style, that this may not be something for you. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something, some, some kids work really well with this kind of structure, oh, yeah. like, right? Like and the workbooks and, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a, this kind of logical progression, it makes sense and really fits for lots of kids. So mm-hmm. um, if you see something, a, a, a co-op or a, an online program or something that's pushing classical education, know that you're going to get this more structured approach, but it does, it is supposed to build and, and mm-hmm. it is supposed to make sense with that. And it's so. got a kind of a ground level foundational thing, uh, element with the trivium. Mm-hmm. And I know later uh, you can get into quadrivium. So if you, I'll put links to those down below if you're, if you want to kind of dive into that or different. So what's the last of, piece of the quad? Oh, uh, quadrivium. If I could think about it, it's like there's um, geography, um, astronomy and then like there's two others there so they they open up there's mathematics and i think there's another one as well writing or something like that so there's four others so trivium try three mm-hmm. um and then quad trivium four so there's three in the four so I, i'll put them down in the links below um i had a book on the trivium upstairs and i don't have one on the quadrivium so never really yeah, got that, into it. well yeah because that's, to be old, later that's years, older yeah. and we weren't we're not there yet exactly exactly now going into one that maybe we have talked about in the past and we, we have i don't know Ariel, about 300 uh, youtube videos uh, talking about a <laughs> curriculum that says they are inspired by this and this would be charlotte mason method and so what is the charlotte mason method right so charlotte mason was originally religious um Mm -hmm. she was and this was originally a religious curriculum but build your library is very well known for um doing a secular uh, version that was inspired by charlotte mason Mm -hmm. and really it's known for living books which living books would be either written by people that experienced it at the time Mm -hmm. or written by somebody who is uh, an expert in that subject. So whereas you might see uh, like a, a scholastic book or something that's written by just some general person who wrote about... Or, and some of those scholastic books don't even have authors. Right. They're written about, <laughs> you know, uh, well, we're in the middle of Rome, so let me think like written about Pompeii or something, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. That wouldn't be a living book, but maybe a book that's written by an expert about 
Pompeii would be, or somebody who's very well known about it, and then they write a fictional account of what happened at Pompeii. But, you know, that's... So it, the goal is to maybe, try to increase the quality yeah. of the literature. I think I think maybe a good a good example might be if, if you're talking about like an ethnic group or something like that. Like right. reading a book about Native peoples from Scholastic is good and mm-hmm. really helpful. And we have some DK books on that. We've made recommendations. Or, you know, if you're studying like certain tribe and then reading books about that, that have been written by those type of people. That's kind of like, right. I think and, you may, we've heard it as well. Own voices, I think is another term. Right. And that would be, that's the best thing. Mm-hmm. It's hard when you're doing something historical. So, you know, you can't really get like someone who was alive then to have written about it. Um, but the, the, the goal is to find really high quality. We're just going to read Plutarch now. <laughs> <laughs> really high quality sources of literature that yeah. you can read to connect with the subjects. And if you can, to get somebody, you know, who lived that experience would be great. And there's also um, this like nature and art element as yeah, well. Yeah, so there's a big uh, heavy nature study and and bringing art in and connecting art with nature and art with the books. And then there's an emphasis as well on music and hands-on learning. So yeah, a lot of projects like kind of like mm-hmm. and in a lot of the hands-on projects especially with the Charlotte Mason kind of flow into the art and also feed into whatever you're reading about and whatever you're studying about. So there's yeah. kind of this cyclical looping element to it. And them. it all kind of flows together. Yeah. Um, so it, Very rarely are they standing apart. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a gentle approach and it really focuses on um, fostering kids' natural curiosity. So mm-hmm. it's something that we really like because we love uh, great books in, in our house. Mm-hmm. And so that really, and our daughter loves books, so that really connects with us. Um, so yeah, when you see something that's Charlotte Mason inspired, but it's secular, you're going to be focusing on those really great books, incorporating art and nature um, and hands-on experiences. And one of the things that, that you know it focuses on is that nurturing the curiosity. And we, we're going to see in a number of styles here coming forward is really going into that intrinsic learning. So there's mm-hmm. different methods that people kind of have at their base, at the core, which is this idea that the a learner-led or learner curiosity or having the learner help you drive forward in what you're learning. And, and Charlotte Mason is a good example of that. Another good example here that we'll talk about is the Montessori method. And this is really just, I mean, my our limited experience with the Montessori method, and I know our, our parent partnership also has a whole... A Montessori program. That, yeah, there's a couple of Montessori well. schools in our town. One, one goes, uh, two of them go up through middle school. Middle school, yeah. And Montessori's are very common. We actually have a public school as well in our in our district yeah. that is Montessori based all the way up to I, I would say eighth grade. I think so. Yeah. And and there's many you'll often see like Montessori preschools. Now originally again Maria Montessori was religious, but the the vast majority of Montessori schools that you'll see, whether it's preschools or if there's a Montessori based co-op or something, mm-hmm. are, are probably going to be secular. Um, but this is really focusing on um, everyday life experiencing experiences and getting children to to kind of be independent and drive their own learning. So when our daughter hands on stuff. Yeah, too, yeah, tons of hands on stuff. When our daughter would go to the Montessori preschool, they would do things like, for example, um, they would not get a cup of water for the kids. Mm-hmm. They have a jug, it has water, it has cups there. And even they may be glass as well. Yeah. Right. And the kids need to learn it's they're learning a self sufficiency. Yeah. To get their own things. And all they're that learning stuff, responsibility. Yeah. They have to clean up the toys when they're done before they move on to the next one. They do. And they'll do things like they'll have a puzzle out, but the puzzle won't already be put together. Yeah. A lot of times the class would have the puzzle put together and the kid would take it out and then dump it out and undo it. But this one specifically the puzzle would not be together so that yeah. they would... But it's, a, it's an inviting to... It, like they yeah, it's an invitation to work. And, 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 and a little thing that I've experienced here at 
Montessori with kind of an older student. Um, our daughter is taking a reading class at our parent partnership and it's run by the woman who runs the Montessori program. And so we're in this room and when I'm in this room, I like to drop her off or to observe for 10 or 15 minutes before I'm out, uh, you know, I leave the room. The room is just, it's, it's a Montessori dream. I, and I see these mothers in there as well. And they're just, they constantly keep asking, oh my gosh, I wish my, my homeschool space <laughs> yeah. looked like this. Because Montessori, the There's, Montessori method has tons of great manipulatives. Manipulatives are everywhere. And so, and, and what she does is every single day when she sets up for the class, I, you know, she has these stations that are just set and they're there if the child wants to use them or not. And they're all manipulative heavy. And if a student isn't in, in, interested in the group work, they can go off and go do that project over there by themselves. Maybe come back and do a little bit of a exercise together. The teacher is leading it. The students don't have to be there. They can be there. They can go work on their own little reading activities as well. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing the the fluidness of the room and and but just, it's not chaos at all. It's not chaos. And it never was at the preschool either. Even though all these kids are three, yeah. um, it was very calm because it's really encouraging kids to explore their own interests, yeah. work at their own pace on the things that interest them. So and also work together. Like a lot of times, there may be a right. project where you can work with another student. Um, small groups. It's it was always very much learning based. So there weren't, there were a lot of toys there. There weren't like there weren't toys there, but they were toys were very thoughtful in what they had there. It wasn't just like, here's the giant kitchen, go destroy it. You know, that type of thing. Right. Yeah. There was all, and, and it really encouraged kids to find something that they, they particularly like connected with. And then they would do that work and mm -hmm. then they would put it back. And the amount of things that they learned, and they did some things in a group, um, but there's there's just it's a it's a heavy manipulative base. So I think if you have a, a really kinesthetic learner, mm -hmm. Montessori ends up being great. Or one who just doesn't want to like always go to with the flow. They they kind of you know they respond to their own drummer. And sometimes our kid can be like that too. And she just loves to go and be like, that's what I'm into right now. You know, thinking about it, you know, since we do have the school here, we need to take homeschool together on the road. We need to go to the Montessori school here and see what a Montessori fifth grade room looks like? Like, what do you do with a bunch of, you know, 10 year olds yeah, maybe, in a Montessori class? Maybe would, we could interview the teacher, so, the Montessori yeah, that, teacher. We, we should ask. do that and see what type of things that we can bring in. Listen to us, look at us brainstorming. Live, yeah, well, I think it'd be a, really good because it's Montessori is something that such we- Such a popular method. Yeah, we kind of tangentially know a bit about Montessori and our child absolutely loved the Montessori loved preschool it, yeah. experience. Everyone at our parent partnership, there's like a, a waiting list for the Montessori program. Yeah. But so it's, it's a full program. It's like, isn't it like a whole day, four um, day, three days a week yeah, or something? Yeah, no, I think it's two days a week and it's okay. a whole, yeah. But whole people are very into the Montessori program. Um, and I, I think it it speaks to, um, it's slower, the expectations, there's not, there's not this um, high bar to meet, right? Because yeah. kids are working at their own pace. And that's one of the reasons why we put our daughter in a Montessori preschool is because she's actually older for her grade. She, she's, uh, her, the way her birthday falls in the fall, she's one of the oldest ones. Mm -hmm. And so we found that at another preschool, things there were just too easy for her. Mm -hmm. But then on the um, emotional level, she wasn't ready for the upper level work. Yeah. So the Montessori worked really well because she could work at whatever level she was at. So she could work on a puzzle that was, you know, challenging enough for her, but then be on the emotional level with the other kids. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you've got a, a child who's got like a lot of individuality, Montessori can be really nice. Maybe they don't fit in a perfect you know, peg of that's exactly a second grade or whatever. <laughs> Montessori can be a nice way. Well, and it's not like Montessori, you can't use other curriculum. I know the teacher that we're working with in our reading class, um, she uses all about reading. 
right. uh, for all her curriculums for her entire Montessori program. But so then it's not she like, has tons of Montessori activities yeah, as well to encourage reading. Exactly. So I think... And she uses um, both right. manipulative activities, but also stuff. They have these giant touchscreens that they can use. So she has like a website up where they can spell letters and use their fingers to drag letters around. So it's like they're not a tech adverse. She's not tech adverse and she's not manipulative adverse. So it's it's... It's really amazing to watch. Maybe we should get her in here as well. Yeah, it's a really multi-sensory experience. I think <laughs> the, the one thing about Montessori uh, that I would say is uh, if it's something that really interests you for your home, do a ton of research because it is a large subject and we, we clearly need to do, probably do a whole episode on it and do quite a bit more research on it yeah. ourselves. We're just, we are touching very broadly right yeah. now. Um, but also it can but be But it very, is like very, uh, there, there's a big investment because yeah. it is money-wise, money you got heavy, manipulative-based. Yep. Absolutely. Now, so again, that's a learner, learner-led. We talked about Charlotte Mason, kind of a learner-led. The ultimate learner-led is the, <laughs> is the unschooling community. And we have had the pleasure to interview multiple families who've done unschooling. Yeah. So go ahead and search our catalog. Instead of using uh, 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 for, uh, first-year homeschoolers or uh, homeschool journeys. It was unschool journeys. I think it was the yeah, title. You, yeah, yeah. I'll link, link them in the below. Link a couple in the show notes. Uh, yeah, we had some great interviews with unschooling families who have had a wonderful experience. And unschooling doesn't mean that there's no structure. That's right. right. Some of these families have lots of structure to their day. It's just that the things that they're choosing to learn are being driven by their kids. And it's not like they're not using curriculum. Some of them are using curriculum. The mm-hmm. kid really wants to learn about XYZ, and so they're using that curriculum. Or some families are like, yeah, we do math and reading, but the rest of our day is unschooling-led. Yeah. So I don't think with any of these things it has like to be exclusive. It's like diet unschooling. That's like diet unschooling. <laughs> it doesn't have to be exclusive. Um, and you can say, yeah. Unschooling, I, but except math. And that's one we've heard, yeah. Yeah, we've heard a lot of unschooling except math yeah uh where families are like yeah nope you know maybe their kid's not going to choose math or they're like we just want to do a math program that's fine but as far as what they want to learn about about science or about and sometimes right and sometimes they'll do it in categories like okay we need to study something in history what are you interested in and then they can find it um or what are you interested in in science and then they find that and they work on that other families are like hey we're going to do reading and math and then everything else is totally up to you. The kid wants to study airplanes. They study airplanes. If they want to study Japanese, they study Japanese. I mean, they can do kind of the sky's the limit. Um, And all unschooling families unschool to a different degree and in a different way. There's no Mm -hmm. like one method to say this is the perfect unschooling package. More than anything, it almost seems like the parent instead of, uh, you know, that one-on-one educator, I'm sitting down at the table and I'm teaching and lecturing they're more of a guide and a partner, yeah. uh, a mentor, um, right. uh, somebody who conveniently puts out new new material that could be discovered and whatnot. Yeah. You're 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 going with them as opposed to pulling them in some respects. Because I know a lot of people right. listening may feel, and we all do, and I I feel it right now that sometimes with some subjects you're pulling the donkey mm-hmm. stubbornly to the water. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. it's like come and drink. We need to get some water. I don't want water. I'm you know fighting. It can feel like we're pulling, and it, and with unschoolers, I think the philosophy it's it's hard to commit to because a lot of times it's giving up the control. Mm-hmm. Um, could feel like oh my god, we're going to break our kids. Totally understandable, um, but it's a philosophical decision to allow the kid to meander in that direction. Um, I know the one father that we interviewed, uh, his thing was as long as I can teach him to read, the world is theirs, and I've really taken that into heart. Yeah, because he he was right. As long as I can teach you to read. 
then the world is yours. Right. You can learn anything. You can learn anything at that point. And some families will unschool for, you know, just a couple of years. Mm -hmm. They'll unschool through maybe a difficult time when they're feeling like, um, you know, their kids are not really into it or they're losing a bit of direction and, you know, they want to re-spark it or maybe they just do it when they're young or, you know, so. So unschooling is not not schooling. No, right. That's that's not what it means. And a lot of unschoolers end up what happens, what we've heard from the several interviews we've done is that the kids are so interested in the thing that they've chosen to study that they end up spending many more hours on it than they would have if you'd said, okay, sit down, we're going to learn about this. Um, so it can be, for some families, extremely liberating and it mm-hmm. takes that pressure off. Um, pressure but yeah. off the children and also the educator on your side as well. Right. And then you're, like you say, you're more of a guide. You're helping to facilitate the learning rather than, than necessarily teach it, depending on the age of your child. Exactly. So again, more learner-led, more learner-driven. Next one is another example of learner-led, learner-driven, because a lot of the times with a lot of us in the homeschool community, um, we don't just get one curriculum and we go with it or Mm -hmm. get one big box of curriculum and go with it. And even within our curriculum, to be honest, build your library, not everything works and Mm -hmm. I got to bring something else in. Sometimes this book doesn't work and I got to go do something else. This is the eclectic homeschooler where you're essentially staring yep. at the giant wall of opportunities and you just start pulling stuff off the shelf. And it's all about tailoring, especially yeah. families who, you know, find that each of their learners is very different. That's a big thing. Right? Uh, you end up having to tailor. And so we grab something and then, like I would say, we're always tweaking things. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> messing with stuff um, because we can't ever leave it alone because we know that there are certain elements that our kids really connect with. So this is where you're taking different uh, different styles and you're mixing them and you're making, maybe you're making your own new style. Uh, and you'll find that some curriculums like Torchlight is kind of a, a fun example of an eclectic curriculum because they're using some classical education. It uses some Socratic method, a little bit of Charlotte Mason. It's mm-hmm. like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> so you can find eclectic curriculums like that. Um, or what a lot of folks will do is you'll, you'll choose a la carte your own. Yeah. You'll all, you'll, you'll choose a bunch of different curriculums that may have different styles or you'll choose one and then you'll mess with it and make it what your family needs. So there's different ways to be eclectic. I think um, unless you're buying a large boxed curriculum, most of us tend to go towards the eclectic side because we end up finding what works for our kids Mm -hmm. and it's rarely all exactly the same method. Yeah, it's funny kind of eclectic isn't really a method. It's a way of responding to the circumstances in front of you mm. because it doesn't mean you can be an eclectic homeschooler that uses classical education or an eclectic homeschooler that's a Montessori focused family right like but you may you know choose this one little piece of thing that's maybe a, a Waldorf inspired and that's what we'll be talking about next or you'll go over here and pick this type of thing over here it doesn't mean you're it, it's not a thing in a, of its own. It's a way of responding, I think, to what you're dealing with right. or what it, you need. It's a way of tailoring, right? And it, what, it, your, what your student may need. Again, that, that student-focused, yeah. student-led. I think it's all about right-sizing whatever mm-hmm. you're doing for your learner. So it's it, tailoring is the perfect analogy, right? right? I can I can buy this outfit, but then what if I did a little tuck here and a little, yeah, a little hem, hem there, there and, yeah. I made it, and I made it fit my body perfectly? And that's kind of what we end up doing. When you first start out, you'll 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 try several curriculums, um, and you might find one that's like a lot of us find one that's like mostly there, <laughs> but we find there's a few areas where it doesn't quite meet our needs, and that's mm-hmm. where we start looking for other ways to find the best fit. Yep, 
Yep, absolutely. Next one we're talking about, you may have heard, we had an interview maybe a couple months ago. Yeah, we had an interview with a homeschool dad yeah. who primarily uses Waldorf, Waldorf. education. And, and again, this is another curriculum that is, I think, originally uh, religious-based. R- right. But like also kind of like spiritualist. spiritual There was some yeah. weird initial stuff. Like some crazy things were happening in the late 1800s. You know, the, <laughs> the thing is, some of the original folks who started uh, some of these different styles, uh, there's, there's some questionable things there, but there were some good stuff that came out of it there was nuggets that were interesting and were useful for education and are still useful so waldorf is a really holistic approach and it emphasizes not just the the academics but also the the physical and emotional well-being of the of children so it's it's a it's a different method i think it's um I think it's a it's a, a slower paced, gentler form mm-hmm. where they use a lot of art to yeah, art learn and art and, and storytelling, movement. Yeah. movement to really drive these concepts home. And it, it there's a lot about the well being of of the of the child that goes uh, into this which social we don't, and emotional focus. Yeah, yeah, which we don't usually focus on. Generally, you know, you're not going to see a, a mm-hmm. curriculum usually that pulls in those pieces. Yeah. We certainly have seen a couple that have brought in some social emotional aspects, but not to this level. Nature is a heavy focus for Waldorf as well. I think we're probably not doing it the right amount of justice. I think definitely listen to David's interview because that, and we'll link it in the show notes, because uh, he really goes into how this works for their family mm-hmm. um, and how they incorporated art and how Waldorf, a Waldorf-inspired secular education really spoke to their family. Well, it was important too because I think David's an artist as well. So that, that right. was an element that he could he could identify with and as well. Right, and bringing that art in um, and helping to bring those stories to life through art was is, was a big piece of it. So moving on to our last one for today, which is kind of, I don't know if it's a style, but it's a way. I think it's a style. It's, it's a way of doing things, which would be online or virtual schooling. So we see okay. some you know, uh, homeschooling families in some states are required to use these kind of like online charter schools. Yeah, or, or they can. Even here in Washington State, there's yep. online charter schools. There's online charter schools. Um, this could be your out-school classes. Your uh, we, Beast Academy. Right. We have some friends that they're doing a complete online math curriculum. They're, now, they're homeschooling for their other pieces, but math is all done online. Yep. And that's the style that really works best for their family. And their learner likes it. And they're, Yep. Their learner loves it. I think he just took the PSATs and just like... Knocked it out. Like aced them. Like they were, so he, he's feeling very solid in the math education that he's receiving that That's way. That's awesome. Um, you know, you could also do like, for example, our school, the parent partnership will give you a high school credit if you are completing Khan Academy classes. And they put this right. up on, up on the, their posters, you know, make sure you're doing your Khan Academy classes if you want to get high school credit for certain math, math or right. certain reading or whatnot. And or certain science classes and whatnot, you could do that and actually get credit for that if you show your scoring and your quizzing and, and you show the completeness thing. I think there's like a, a grading thing at there's the end. There's some sort of assessment, yeah. Yeah, assessment at well, the end. Well, and you know, there's lots of community colleges and things that mm-hmm. offer online classes. Yep. For a lot of states, our state is one of them that you can uh, start to take community college classes in high school yep. and you can take them remotely if you want to. And now after COVID, there's so many more options for remote classes than there ever used to be. It was, yeah, it was almost like a, a it was almost a watershed moment mm-hmm. uh, in, in people's thinking of online education. I think in, right. in some respects, there was a lot of neg- negative things that came out of that because a lot of kids maybe can't handle online education. They need to be in the classroom. They need to be you know with an mm-hmm. educator. 
Um, but there were now a lot of online opportunities that are now available that never were available before or were very green prior to the uh, COVID and have become more mature. Yeah, I think that there's some really great online options out there. We have some friends that had an online reading tutor that mm-hmm. would tutor their daughter once a week uh, awesome. and really help them. We have another friend who's learning Spanish and she has an online session. I have a friend that's learning Spanish too. <laughs> Como estas? <laughs> muy bien, muy bien. Um, no, uh, we have this this friend who is learning learning Spanish and she has a once week a week uh, call with a Spanish tutor in Mexico. That's awesome. And so they, and this is a, this is a great way, especially if you're doing some sort of language that you can get that practice time with it, with a real human that you can call and that, and she actually has been, I think she's been calling this gal for like two years and they've like developed this relationship when she goes to Mexico, she's going to go visit her. Like they've, <laughs> they've struck up this friendship. So, um, because she's an adult learning this obviously, yeah. um, but yeah, so there's some really terrific online opportunities, and I've seen some very neat classes through a variety of different uh, online sources. So mm-hmm. n- now we even have things like Explode the Code, which has always been a workbook based. Now they have an online, online version of Explode option, the Code. Yeah. You talked about Beast Academy is another great online program. So there's lots of different uh, terrific online options, and that style works really great. I think we actually talked to one mom. I don't remember which interview it was off the top of my head, but she said she wasn't as much a homeschool educator as she was like a homeschool facilitator because both of her kids did kind of completely online coursework a lot of out school classes and things of that yeah and i think they were maybe part of some sort of a charter in her in her state and they did online education for a couple of hours a day and then the rest of the day they had they had off but that really worked for their family so it's kind of nice to see all the different ways homeschooling can look and maybe it work. It looks more like you're facilitating. I know some of the families that travel a lot, they do lots of online classes as well. And, and, and I, and I would imagine with older learners where we get more and more away from the younger learner, one-on-one face to face, and right. they're having to take the ball and run with it. Mm-hmm. Some of the family members that we know about who have sort of those, um, uh, homeschool kids that are kind of in the high school levels, yeah. they're doing their own thing. They're doing their own programs. They're doing their own curriculum. Mm-hmm. The parents are there to kind of monitor and assess right. and mentor, but they're they're not doing as much, you know, curriculum, you know, lecturing, one on one work. So it does feel like the more we talk to some of these older students who are homeschooling, you start to see that separation over time, where yeah. we begin to move into them doing their own coursework, and in order to do that. That can be, you know, physical books or physical workbooks and things of that nature, or it can be more online, you know, website. I made the joke the other day, we were talking about, um, we were lamenting the, <laughs> the price of college. Yeah. Um, and we were, I was joking. I said, in five taps of my thumb on my phone, I can get an entire undergrad physics um, degree from Stanford. And I showed it to you, right? <laughs> yeah. I clicked, I on opened YouTube you, videos. I went to YouTube, went to my thing, went to my saved um, uh, I went to my saved, uh, playlist and I then, I have this entire playlist. Um, I think Leonard Susskind has yeah. a whole physics Stanford, uh, giant lecture series of like 500 videos, um, that are all free to watch and I can get it off YouTube, right? Yeah. It's amazing. So there's so much right. stuff out there that's available that you can watch and learn and whatnot. So that's only going to continue to multiply and, and, and grow. Yep. And I think you're right that it's the older older students. This is a great way when you think ahead and you're like, okay, great. I feel totally comfortable teaching my third grader and um, that's great. But what are we going to do about like, you know, high school physics or exactly. I don't know about calculus or whatever. 
I, I, I'm seeing a lot of folks as they transition from that middle school to high school level starting to lean on other programs, whether mm-hmm. that's a tutor that comes into your house or an online program like this, where they can kind of outsource some things that they aren't as knowledgeable about and don't feel qualified to teach. Yeah. So it's it's we always tell people, like, don't ever be afraid that you can't teach a subject because there's yeah. lots of people that can. And it's just up to you to find those opportunities and help arrange that. Yeah. Even someone like myself who I feel confident that I could teach, you know, I could teach math and physics and and some hard science, chemistry and things of that nature well into her college years. But I mean, I don't know anything about biology. I'm not very good with that. Yeah. And, you know, there's other aspects that maybe I don't want to be spending all my time teaching her, you know, certain math concepts when I have really capable classes that she can take that are structured. Right. And when she's 14 or something and can be in this this class yeah. and really be able to pay attention, it's obviously not the right thing for lots of younger learners because they don't absorb information the same way through that digital medium. But mm-hmm. yeah, the older that you get, I mean, I'm doing my MBA completely online exactly. and it, it's working out great. So I think it's just, it, it's a matter of the age and the temperament of your learner, but there are terrific programs. And even if you could teach it, maybe you're like, I could teach this calculus, sub, but I mean, they're going to do it better than I'm going to do it. Maybe well, right. Well, and then so almost like, um, thinking inside my own mentality, which is at some point I want my child who I'm homeschooling to not learn from me because Absolutely. when they go off, um, when they're, you know, hopefully she'll hit running start at 16 and she'll start taking classes. I don't want her to be like shocked that another human being can teach her something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that to be, and she's getting that experience now with that, taking these classes at our parent partnership, but I want them to feel comfortable understanding that they're capable mm-hmm. also of learning from other people and finding information out themselves, owning their curriculum, owning their education in some respects as they mm-hmm. get older. And it's not like I don't, I'm not going to be there. It's not that I don't want to be there. Sure. I want them to have that opportunity to be comfortable taking control of their own life and yeah. moving forward in their own education. Because once they go off to college, I, you know, I need I need her to be able to go to her lectures and learn right. and talk to her professor if she's got a problem and all well, that type of stuff. And maybe it's worth looking at something online sooner than even, you know, starting in high school and community college to get that rigor of like, mm-hmm. not just learning from someone else, but having homework and tests you have to turn in and the things that are going to be expected in those early college classes that she's going to take yeah, so that she can be kind of prepared. We've talked about that when uh, some parents have had their students move on to uh, college um, that they were okay with that because they had had that experience before and it wasn't something new and it wasn't something like crazy. I, I was a little worried. I'm like, well, what, what happens if my daughter doesn't have a, a science test until she's in college? Right. Yeah. Like I just do assessment along the way. It's not like a sit down for an hour and mm-hmm. do the problems thing. We kind of do that now. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting her that experience. But like, what if she doesn't sit down and write a, an essay in a blue book? as part of her final for history. Like we, I did that like a thousand times. Right. You've done that a thousand well, and times. Well, I don't know. In 10 years, is that can be required? Yeah. I mean, things are changing so much. So exactly. I think it's I think it's good to be keeping an eye on online options as our kids get older mm-hmm. um, and to help fill in gaps where, you know, something is not our strong suit or we just need some more support. Mm-hmm. So this was the first eight. We're going to do, I think, another nine or so um, yep. next week. Um, we hope this helped you understand uh, these a lot of these are maybe are you already familiar with maybe you're a new homeschooler and you're, you're just getting exposed to these ideas 
for the first time. Maybe you're a seasoned homeschooler and you're trying to find something new, a new wrinkle, maybe for the coming up for the summer that you want to test or maybe something you're looking forward to for next year as well. Hopefully this was helpful to you and we will see you guys next week with another set of homeschooling theory. Yes. Part two coming up. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!